Hey guys, just before we get started, I wanted to kind of put a swear warning because I realize I do in fact swear a lot and I just kind of want to make sure if any kitties are listening that uh, you should probably stop now if unless you're a mature child. And also I'd like to say, uh, sorry mom, <laughs> let's get started with the episode. Long may she reign. Presented to you by Aidan Fitzgerald. Oh shit, I got pop on my computer. That was not a very good pop opening. God damn it. Well, hey guys. <laughs> Welcome back to the Long May Shireen Podcast. I'm Aiden. I'm your host of this podcast, and I just got my freaking computer wet. Oh no! Hopefully it doesn't uh, affect the recording of this episode. It's only a little bit. It's it's fine. Not that big of a deal. Um, I hope you guys are all doing well. Um, I am in the second week of training for my job. And you know what I'm realizing is that last year I got like a really quick crash course in how to be an interpreter on the historic set I'm working on. And I'm realizing through the full training that I was like woefully unprepared like they missed so much with me like I got like the cliff notes and it wasn't even enough like I am learning so much new stuff that I didn't know last year it's crazy and it's the the training has been tough because you know we're outside just like all day all day in the hot sun and I burn easily even through sunscreen I just have like sensitive ass skin and it's a lot of walking, it's a lot of standing, it's a lot of listening and stuff. It feels a lot like school a little bit. I feel like I'm on my own, like, personal school tour of the historic set I work at. Like, it's it's like that, you know? Alright, what else did I do this week? Um, oh, I got a new book that, I, you know, I haven't read, like, extensively in, like, a little while because school is exhausting. And this podcast is also, it takes up, like, a lot of my time and even then I still can't seem to keep up with it uh but I got this new book Royal Warrior Girl on Earth which I was really excited about because it's kind of like a semi like sort of sequel to um a book I got in oh when did that come out like 2021 maybe I don't know it's it's a semi sequel to this other book called Firekeeper's Daughter that's like really good and uh but Warrior Girl on Earth is kind of like a uh it gave me big national treasure vibes. Like there's like a heist and like talk about like, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, cult- cultural re- repatriation, I think is, is the word I'm looking for. Basically like returning artifacts to their proper cultures. It's really good. I seriously recommend it. Although I definitely read Firekeeper's Daughters f- daughter Daughters first. <laughs> because it'll give you a lot more context for this book. It's really good. I'm just saying. Read it. I swear I swear by it. Anyway, it's not what you guys are here to hear about. Uh, today we are discussing Emma, the Queen of Hawaii. Uh, you may have heard of her. You may have not. Um, I certainly hadn't until I did my episode on Queen Lilukulani of Hawaii. Um, Emma was kind of like uh, Lily's, well, they were biologically related. They were like distant cousins. Um, but they were also kind of like 
Yeah, I mean, they were cousins. That's pretty much their, like, biggest connection. But also, um, Emma ran against Hilkalani's brother for election to the Hawaiian throne. So they have that beef. And they had a whole bunch of beef, like, throughout their entire lives. And not, like, self like, sustained beef. Like, they didn't just hate each other to hate each other. Kind of like life, sort of, you know, made them have a lot of friction. Just the the unfortunate trappings of being a royal made them enemies. And Emma has an incredibly interesting story. I didn't know what I was going to find when I researched her, but she's really cool. I can't wait for you guys to uh, dive into her story with me. So, let's get into it. Okay, so Queen Emma of Hawaii was born on January 2nd, 1836 in Oahu, Honolulu to Chief Naea and his wife, Chief Fanny Keke La Okalani. I'm not sure if I pronounced that right. I practiced that really hard. I'm just, you know, I'm just going to give like a whole warning. I don't speak Hawaiian. <laughs> it's a really hard language. There's a lot of nuances to the language that I just can't pronounce. I I apologize in advance for my horrible butchering of the beautiful Hawaiian language. Very sorry. Anyway, Emma was born as her parents' only surviving child. She had had two sisters uh, when she was younger, but they died a baby. Died as babies, I'm sorry. Now, of course, since her birthday is January 2nd, that makes her a Capricorn. We love Capricorns. Capricorns are often described as practical, independent, and self-reliant, which I think is quite true to Emma's personality based on what I've read. Uh, she definitely knew her own mind. She knew how to get from, you know, point A to point B by herself. So I'd say this is a pretty accurate description uh, to uh, how she was as a person. Honestly, I'd say she got this, like, sense of self from the way she was raised. Uh, speaking of which, let's get to know uh, Emma's uh, double parental situation, what it was like growing up in the royal family of Hawaii. Alright, now, as discussed in the Little Kalani episode, the Hawaiian royal family has this special tradition that they do with all royal children called Hanai adoption. Now, I already explained this in my Little Kalani episode, but if you haven't listened to it, I'm going to explain it again to you guys. Now, for nobles and royalty in Hawaii, it was common that once a child was born, it would be adopted out to a close family member to create a f uh, official family bonds. Kind of like how the Romans would foster out kids and you'd have official adoptions and stuff like that. Like how Julius Caesar adopted fucking Octavian, he became Augustus. It's, it's, it's the same thing. Now, in Emma's case, her parents adopted her out to um, her mother's childless sister, Grace, and her husband, Captain Thomas Rook. Now, because of that adoption, Emma technically has four parents we need to talk about because both her biological parents and her adoptive parents are equally important to who she was as a person. So, let's start by talking about her biological parents and the family history that connects her to the main Hawaiian royal family, starting with her bio dad, Naea. Now, Emma's dad was the descendant of the last chiefs of Oahu before the first king of Hawaii overthrew all the chiefdoms and made himself king of all the Hawaiian islands. Now, this king married a daughter of one of the last chiefs, and Emma's dad was descended from a sister of the first queen of Hawaii, and were by far, like, of all the Hawaiian noble families, they were the closest related to the current royal family at that time. 
Emma's dad served on the Council of Chiefs under King Kamamaeha III and was a highly respected nobleman. Um, unfortunately for Naea, a few years after Emma was born, he somehow, I don't know how he did he contracted leprosy, which made him unable to see or contact Emma because he was, like, really worried that, like, his family members would also catch leprosy. I don't know how leprosy is, like, spread. But anyway, uh, she never really knew her dad because he was sort of busy being a leper on a different Hawaiian island hoping to not infect anyone. That's like a whole new set of daddy issues that I don't think we've ever come across in this show before. <laughs> Alright, anyway, uh, moving on Emma's biological mother. Um, her biological mother, Fanny, was by far more active in her life and visited her daughter often whenever she could. Uh, Fanny was born as the daughter of Princess Keoanaea, who was the niece of the first king of Hawaii, and Fanny's uh, dad was an English naval captain named John Young, who served as an important advisor to the first king. Now, he must have been super important to the king of Hawaii his niece married this, like, rando white sailor dude. Must have been pretty important and very smart. Emma's grandfather, John, actually died a few weeks before she was born. Her mom wasn't able to attend her father's funeral because she would have had to go to another island for the funeral, and people were worried about the health effects on Fanny if she stressed herself out by going. They didn't want Emma to be hurt. So Fanny had to stay on the island. She missed her dad's funeral because of Emma's birth, which is really sad because it seemed like Fanny was really close to her dad. Now, Emma and her mother stayed very close throughout both of their lives, and she would luckily live to see her daughter become queen one day, but that's a story for later in the episode. Now, let's talk about her adoptive mom and dad, Grace and Thomas Rook. Now, her adoptive mother, Grace, was the full sister of Emma's mother, Fanny. Uh, she was the only Hawaiian princess in her generation to marry a non-native Hawaiian, while her sisters and brother all married native Hawaiians. Uh, Grace and Thomas's marriage was a total love match. Uh, Thomas Rook was this, like, cheery, nice Englishman who, like, treated her really well. And, gosh, they desperately wanted children, but they were never able to have any, as is a common theme in the Hawaiian royal family. They had a lot of trouble producing next generations. So Grace and Thomas decided they wanted to go with adopting one of their nieces or nephews and chose Emma. They were both present for her birth, and when she was born, she was washed, oiled, and taken by her adoptive parents just down the street to their home known as Workhouse, where Emma would spend basically her entire childhood. Now, I definitely see that Grace and Thomas were, like, born to be parents. Like, they were ready for that little girl coming into their house. They were both super good people. They were interested in ensuring Emma was smart and well taken care of so she was a little spoiled by grace especially she she loved giving emma presents and just making her so happy now before her formal education her adoptive father encouraged her to read and would often just talk to her about the world and ask what she thought about topics hmm, interesting concept asking a woman what she thinks love that go thomas Brooke. Now, Emma, Emma's adoptive parents were also considered the best-known hosts in Hawaii, and people came from all around the world to attend dinner parties in their gorgeous wood frame mansion, as I mentioned, the workhouse. Um, Emma grew up speaking both English and Hawaiian, and chose to dress for the most part in a very Western English way, which is pretty common for upper-class Hawaiians by this period. 
Uh, also, I forgot to mention that Emma's adoptive father was also a doctor. She learned a lot from him, and not only about medicine, but also probably realized that her dad uh, was such a busy doctor because he was one of three Western doctors in Hawaii. So that experience may or may not have inspired her to build some Western-style hospitals. Just saying. I mean, when you're one of three Western doctors in Hawaii, you know, you need a hospital <laughs> to, you know, um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Service that kind of demand? Anyway. When Emma was about six years old, she, like many other royal Hawaiian children, was sent to the royal school run by in uh, the English mer miss missionaries. I was going to say mercenaries. They weren't mercenaries, although they weren't really that great. Anyway, uh, the Cook family <laughs> to receive a formal education. Now, at the school, she would have been would have learned domestic skills like sewing, cooking, cleaning, uh, religion, reading, and writing, uh, mostly in English. Unfortunately for Emma and many other attendees of the school, school like our girl uh, Queen Lily, Emma likely suffered gross abuse at the school because the Cook family who ran the school were assholes with God on their side and thought it was okay to hit children, which is not okay. Uh, not to mention they didn't protect the kids from like the rampant ep epidemics that you know just got spread around at the school. Unfortunately, I believe it was I want to say smallpox. I can't remember my little Kalani episode, but a kid literally died at the school. Like, that's how bad this place was. The whole place was later shut down and reopened with, uh, you know, much nicer schoolmasters. Uh, the cooks were uh, given the boot because they literally killed a child. I mean, not like personally, but like, you know, neglect killed that child and it was the cook's fault. Anyway, um, Emma's adoptive father chose to pull her out of school when she was 14 for more, you know, stable education, not done by white mercenaries. Uh, I mean missionaries. I keep on saying mercenaries. Why do I say mercenaries? Ah! I'm sorry. It's the end of the day. I clearly can't speak. <laughs> anyway, uh, Thomas Rook decided to hire an English governess to pre prepare Emma for society, and he still continued his encouragement of reading and giving her access to his large library, which included a lot of medical texts, which Emma very much liked. Emma also gained an impressive talent for music, much like her royal cousin Queen Lily. Emma could sing, play piano, and dance, not to mention she was a killer horseback rider. She loved horseback riding. Like, on God, she could have gone to the Olympics. That's how good she was. Uh, yeah. Now, before we get into the meat and potatoes of her story, let's talk for a second about what she looked like, because damn, Emma was, she was hot. Like, as an adult, she stood at a very petite five foot two. She was very skinny, had large black eyes and dark hair. I mean, you know what, guys? I could literally stare at photos for her, like, all day. She was so pretty, so it only makes sense that, like, some lucky guy was gonna, like, fall in love with her. And that very guy who ended up falling in love with all these photos of her was the king of Hawaii. God, I wish. <laughs> okay, so you happen to know that the first time Emma would have met her future husband, King Kamehameha IV, was when they would have both attended the royal school as children, but back then it didn't seem like they had any romantic feelings for each other. But that changed very quickly in 1855 uh, when Kamehameha succeeded his uncle as king. 
The Hawaiian monarchy had been having trouble with producing heirs, and brothers were succeeding brothers, and now nephews were succeeding uncles. So Kamamaeha was very aware that he needed to get on the marriage and baby track as soon as possible, and announced his engagement to Emma six months into being king. But don't get me wrong, even though they hadn't been crushing on each other when they were kids, that did not mean this was a marriage of convenience or political expediency. Is that the word I'm looking for? Probably not. Um, in fact, they were really well paired for each other. Kamameha was also an accomplished musician. He loved cricket, had studied law uh, after re leaving the royal school. He was also a world traveler, having spent his teenage years taking tours of France and England with his little brother, Prince Lot. Um, they also made many trips to America, but hated going there because nine times out of ten, they received horribly racist comments from almost every place they visited which probably fueled Kamamea's anti-American attitude, and honestly, it would fuel mine too. Fuck that. Now, not long after their engagement announcement, they had an engagement party to celebrate, but it was kind of ruined by one of Kamamea's courtiers making fun of Emma, saying that she didn't have enough Hawaiian blood to be queen because she was one quarter white, and also that our future queen, Lily, would make a much better bride than her, which... Ooh, that's a not nice thing to say to someone at their fucking engagement party. Like, how, how do you have the fucking nerve to be like, oh, no, she won't be a good queen of Hawaii because one of her grandparents is white. And also, like, throw Lily under the bus there, too. Like, she's not even in this conversation. And someone just made an enemy <laughs> of her for Emma. Anyway. This whole incident made Emma break down in tears at her own engagement party, but luckily she didn't take it out on Lily. They were actually very close when Emma became queen, which is very nice that they didn't, like, you know, feud over that. That's nice. Now, a year later, Emma and Kamehameha were married on June 19th, 1856, at a church in Honolulu, where Emma wore the most stunning French gown. Now, let me just read you this newspaper clipping about her dress, which I think describes it better than I ever could. But also, you guys should Google it. It's really nice. <clears throat> anyway, the bride's dress offered unmistakable evidence of its Parisian origin. Nothing could have been more elegant or have been better suited for her fairy-like proportions. The robe was of white silk, heavy and lustrous, trimmed with three flounces richly embroidered. The veil was of Brussels point lace, confined to the hair by a wreath of roses and orange blossoms beautifully blended. Her jewelry consisted of a sub superb set of diamonds, elegantly designed. Oh, I love that newspaper clipping. Oh, it's so good. Anyway. Funny thing um, about that wedding is that somehow uh, Kamamea forgot his wedding ring <laughs> during the ceremony, so uh, Emma couldn't put it on his finger. Luckily, the king's chief justice lent his wedding ring to the king so that they could finish the ceremony and disaster was avoided, so go Chief Justice Alicia, you saved the day. Um, now, the newlyweds quickly moved into the gigantic Iolani Palace, where she shared rooms with her husband, but she also had her own, like, private apartments to do her thing. Um, Emma fell into the role of queen very well in her first couple of years, like, she was born for it. She expanded the palace library, participated in plays, but what she is best known for is her humanitarian work. Very Princess Diana of her. Diana of her. Now, she was 
Mostly inspired by her adopted father's work as a doctor, she established a public hospital to help Native Hawaiians who were poorly treated in regular hospitals and were dying due to foreign-born diseases like smallpox. Um, in 1859, Emma established the Queen's Hospital and visited patients there almost daily whenever she was in residence in Honolulu. Uh, this hospital is still up and running. It's called the Queen's Medical Center. Uh, she also founded the St. Andrew's Priory for girls so that girls could get good educations. Um, Emma heavily recognized the educational needs of young of the young women in Hawaii, and she realized that a lot of the girls in Hawaii kind of lack structure in the regular education. So when she founded St. Andrew's Priory, she made sure that all Hawaiian girls would receive an education equivalent to what was traditionally only offered to boys. Other than all that, Emma's first few years in the palace must have been crazy, I'm sure, getting used to all that protocol. Uh, but her world was flipped upside down when in August of 1857, she realized she was pregnant. Woo! Her pregnancy was the first time in over 30 years that a Hawaiian monarch was expecting a legitimate prince or princess. So Emma was very well taken care of during her pregnancy to ensure the baby boy or girl was healthy. You know, at this point, when you're Running out of heirs generation by generation, you don't really get to be choosing the gender of your next monarch. So whether it was a boy or a girl, everyone was going to be happy. On the 20th of May, 1858, around 6 p.m., Emma gave birth to a boy named Albert on her Queen Victoria son because Emma was besties with Queen Victoria and she really respected her a lot. So she named her son after one of, uh, well, Victoria's children and also Victoria's husband to Prince Albert. The whole kingdom exploded in celebrations that lasted weeks when Albert was born. Now, Albert wasn't the healthiest child ever, but both Emma and Kamehameha were sure as long as they were careful with him, he would live a long time. Not to mention, if they could have one kid really that quick into their marriage, they could probably have more. So, no big deal. Um, Emma absolutely spoiled little Albert. She nicknamed him Baby, which was basically... 90% of what she was calling him as opposed to, you know, his name, Albert. Also, cutest thing ever. I I just died reading facts about little Albert because he's the cutest little thing. Albert was made an honorary member of the fire engine company number four in Honolulu, and they gave him his own little fucking firefighter outfit. Ah! Oh, it's so few. You you guys need to look up the photo of Prince Albert of Hawaii in his little firefighter uniform. He's like, you just want to pinch his little cheeks. He's so cute. Oh, and it makes me so sad for what I'm about to tell you <laughs> about Albert. Unfortunately, the rest of little Albert's story is not so cute because at the end of the summer of 1862, Albert became, well unusually restless and very sick and no one could figure out what was wrong with him there have been many theories about what went wrong with poor baby albert the newspapers of the time reported he had brain fever which was uh which we now know is meningitis uh there are stories of kamamea accidentally giving albert a fever when he was held under a faucet of cold water as punishment for a tantrum as was common corporal punishment during the victorian era if that did happen, they obviously weren't intending to kill him or get him sick at all. Um, apparently, Emma and Kamahameha were pretty convinced he probably had sunstroke, but modern historians, 
historians think Albert could have had an appendicitis, but even that theory is faulty. Whatever it was, Albert was getting sicker, and in a desperate last attempt, Emma sent a letter to Queen Victoria asking her to be Albert's godmother, hoping that baptizing him would help him get better. Queen Victoria agreed to this request and even sent a very nice, super expensive, silver christening cup along with an Anglican minister from England to perform the baptism. Unfortunately, both gifts never arrived on time as poor little baby fire truck Prince Albert died on August 27th, 1862 with both his parents by his side. Fuck, this is so sad. All he wanted to do was drive a fire truck. No. <laughs> Emma and Kamehameha, like I am right now, were so grief-stricken when he died that Emma just, she wouldn't let anyone take her son's body away for like a couple hours. Like, I think, I think it was like five straight hours she wouldn't let them take away Albert's body until officials like literally basically had to pry him out of Emma's hands. <sighs> Prince Albert's funeral was held on September 7th, 1862. He was temporarily placed in a temporary tomb in front of the palace below a tarman tree. Before the lid of the coffin was closed, Kamehameha removed the Star of Diamonds from his uniform and laid it on the chest of his only son before he was buried. Albert was later moved to a new family mausoleum as the old one was full, and it's his mausoleum where most of the Hawaiian royal family is currently buried today. Now, the year after Albert's death was really hard at Emma and Kamehameha. Emma hardly ever left Albert's grave. Kamehameha blamed himself for his son's death and considered abdicating the throne to his younger brother, but he never got to do that. Kamehameha's health had never been the best in the first place. He had had bad asthma his whole life, and I guess the grief of losing his son was too much for him. Because he died in Emma's arms on November 30th, 1863, a little over a year after his son's death. Kamehameha was only 29 when he died. Like, when I was reading about his death, I didn't realize how young he was. Like, their marriage was so quick. Kamehameha wasn't even 30 when he died. And he had done so much in his little time on the Hawaiian throne. Like, it's crazy. Emma was, once again, grief-stricken. And Bishop Stanley wrote of Emma, The queen sits almost inconsistently by the coffin. She has prayers in the room night and morning in the Hawaiian language so that all president may understand, taken from the Book of Common Prayer. And I read to her from the Palsams, or other consolatory passages of the Holy Scriptures every day. It is beautiful to see how she seeks for consolation only in God. That's so sad! Oh my God! Is, is this maybe the saddest episode we've ever had? <laughs> Rank it. Like, I don't even... This... I'm depressed just from that. Like, shh. Oh my God. Emma, babe, I want to give you a hug. I'm so sorry. Oh my God. Okay, so after the king died, um, his little brother Prince Lot was crowned as King Kamehameha V, and Emma was now Queen Dowager at 27, with no husband, no children, lots of money, 
and plenty of time on her hands. Emma felt the best thing she do she could do for herself was to get away from Hawaii as a whole. So she started planning a trip to England, which uh, unfortunately worried many of Hawaii's nobles because there had been an incident, I think, um, oh, something like 50 years before this, where King Kamamehad II and his queen had uh, died on a trip there. Um, I don't actually know the circumstances of their death, but it was worrying enough that they didn't want Emma to go there. But Emma did not care because that's where she wanted to go to get away. In May of 1865, she departed Honolulu Harbor and arrived at Southampton on uh, the 13th of July. She was invited to several royal engagements with Queen Victoria, who definitely understood Emma's grief as her husband had died just four years before this. Uh, Victoria described Emma in her journals during her first arrival like this. After luncheon, I received Queen Emma, the widow queen of the Sandwich Islands or Hawaii. I met her in the corridor, and nothing could be nicer or more delight delightful than her manner. She is dark, but not so much more than an Indian with fine feathers and splendid soft eyes. She was dressed in just the same widow's weeds as I wear. I took her into the white drawing room where I asked her to sit down next to me on the sofa. She was much moved when I spoke to her about her, about her great misfortune losing her only child. She was very discreet and would only remain for a few minutes. She presented her lady, whose husband is her chaplain, both being Hawaiians. Oh, that's even more depressing. <laughs> also, Victoria, why did you have to comment on how dark she is? That's a little... It's a little sus. Anyway. In the weeks and months Emma spent in England, she was very well treated by Queen Victoria and was invited to stay overnight at Windsor Castle and was introduced to Queen Victoria's oldest daughter, Princess Vicky, and her husband, Prince Frederick. After a few months, Emma decided to visit the south of France for a while as she wasn't feeling well, and it was recommended to her that a warmer climate might make her feel better. After all, England's cold and she's from Hawaii. Um, after she recovered, she went back to London briefly before sightseeing in Ireland and then sailing to the United States, where brand new President Andrew Johnson hosted her. Uh, fun fact about Emma's visit, it was the first time anyone with the title of Queen had been officially hosted by an American president, which I think is very cool that Emma got to be the first uh, Queen that the White House ever hosted. That's so cool. Um, Secretary of State uh, William H. Seward hosted Emma at his house and gave her a state dinner on August 18th. Uh, the following evening, she attended a private dinner at the White House with the President, his family, and the Secretary of State. Uh, she, and she also had the very cool honor of meeting with uh, Indigenous Choctaw chief uh, Peter Pitchlin, which is really cool. I don't know much about Peter Pitchlin, but um, from the little bit I read, he sounded like a cool guy, and Emma got to meet him. It's really cool. Um, she also met uh, uh, Peter Pitchlin's uh, delegation of Chickasaw and Cherokee people who were also there. I actually believe this was the first time, first and only time, a Native Hawaiian royal met with any American Indigenous people that I know of. If someone knows of another time, please correct me, tell me. But it's, you know, with all the different types of Indigenous people around the world, you, you like, almost kind of forget they exist in the same plane. And it's, like, really weird how this was like it took till the 1800s that we have on record that a hawaiian royal met any like north american indigenous people that's crazy right anyway um after her trip to the states ended she hopped over the border to visit canada specifically niagara falls 
Um, however, her trip was cut short when she got the news that her adoptive mother, Grace, had died. So she decided to go home, and the USS Vanderbilt was sent to San Francisco to take her back to Honolulu. Now, very interestingly, when Emma returned, she received an unexpected surprise. Can you guess what it was? It's probably not what you're thinking. It was a marriage proposal! Woo! Ugh. Uh, the new king, Kamamehe V, hadn't managed to marry in his two or so years on the throne and decided that Emma would be the perfect wife for him. And she might be a good shot at having kids. After all, she had had kids with his brother. So, yeah. Um, unfortunately for Prince Lot, uh, now King Kamamehe V, uh, she had to let him down easy and told him that she couldn't marry him, which she was actually totally fine with, but like, Imagine going home to mourn your adopted mother and your uh, ex-brother-in-law proposes marriage to you. And you have to say no, because... Anyway. Um, in 1872, uh, after nine years on the throne, King Kamehameha V died with no children and no named successors. So an election was held to pick the next monarch. Now, by overwhelming popular vote... Uh, Luna Leo was chosen and succeeded his cousin as King Luna Leo. Unfortunately, <laughs> there's a lot of unfortunately's in this one. People are just dying left and right. Um, he died after just one year as king, and now there was a complete succession crisis. We're running out of cousins. What the fuck do we do? There were no direct descendants of the first king of Hawaii left, and therefore no obvious heir. So another vote had to be held, and Emma was very interested in putting her name in the pot. Emma had a lot of good qualifications to be a queen regnant. After all, she served as queen consorts. In terms of genealogy, she was actually more closely related to the first king of Hawaii than her soon-to-be opponent for the throne, Kala uh, Karuna, the brother of future Queen Luli. Now, in terms of policy, she was much more popular with the Hawaiian people because of her desire to give Native Hawaiians a more powerful voice in the government of Hawaii. Uh, the British of Hawaii also liked her because of her uh, British grandfather, who had been quite a popular figure. Uh, she was also very anti-American and wanted Hawaii to be less reliant on America. She felt America might try and take over Hawaii if they weren't careful. Gee, I wonder why she'd think that. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Anyway, um, <laughs> the day after her opponent announced his candidacy, Emma also announced her candidacy with this proclamation, which I will not very eloquently read to you now, but I will try. Um, this is what she said. To the Hawaiian people, whereas his late lamented majesty, King Lunle... Luna Leo died on the 3rd of February, 1874, without having publicly proclaimed a successor to the throne, and whereas his late majesty did before his final sickness declare his wish and intention that the undersigned should be his successor on the throne of the Hawaiian Islands, and joined upon me to not decline the same under my circumstances, and whereas many of the Hawaiian people have since the death of his majesty urged me to place myself in nomination at the ensuing session of the legislator. Therefore, in view of the foregoing considerations and my duty to the people and to the memory of the late king, I do hereby announce and declare that I am a candidate for the throne of these Hawaiian islands. I, requ I request my beloved people throughout the group to assemble peacefully and orderly in their districts, to give formal expression to their views on the important subject, and to instruct their representatives in the coming session of the legislate legislator. God protect Hawaii, Honolulu, February 5th, 1874. 
Emma. Now, as much as Emma had a ton going for her in this election, and reasonably, I think she should have won. Unfortunately, the people uh, did not vote for the monarch. The fucking legislative assembly did. Uh, the assembly was filled with a lot of white people, some of whom were American, and some of who were, of course, you know, Hawaiian, but pro-American, which made Emma lose the vote very badly, 39 to 6. Um, Emma's supporters, often called Emmanites, uh, made up of mostly Native Hawaiian peoples, caused a gigantic riot in the streets of Honolulu because they lost. Um, honestly, it was never going to be a fair election in the first place. I mean, she did not have a chance when you've got half of the legislature being white people who like America or just like don't want Native Hawaiians to have more rights and that's what Emma was gonna do. She had been queen. And then you have Native Hawaiians who are just, you know, kinda acting really white even though they aren't. Anyway. <laughs> not to mention at this point a woman had never been sole queen of Hawaii. I mean not that they really had an entire problem with that. I mean like generally Hawaii as a culture is like fine with female rulers. But you know with the you know ensuingness of western culture in Hawaii that had already kind of taken over by the state, Um it just wasn't a thing that they were maybe ready for. So that probably didn't help in this case. Um after the election Emma basically retired from public life really talk to the new king or his sister Lily, which is sad because, you know, we mentioned they had all been pretty friendly at one point in their life. I mean, Emma never blamed Lily for the fact that some nobles thought that she'd make a better queen than her. She never wanted to put that on her shoulders or anything. Um, actually, one thing that kind of really shows about how much affection Lily and her brother had for Emma was that the king always left the seat open at events for Emma, which she rarely showed up in any, anything, but there was always a seat saved for her, which is so sweet. Um, in 1881, Emma unfortunately came down with smallpox and had to be quarantined for a couple months. Then in 1883, Emma, who had otherwise been quite healthy, uh, suddenly suffered seizure. Uh, she recovered but remained weak. In July of 1884, she had another seizure as she got off her horse after a day of horseback riding. She suffered from memory loss, was paralyzed, and could not see out of her right eye. And after two seizures, Emma was worried she would die soon, so she made up her will, but tried to stay in good mood for public events that she attended. Um, in fact, she celebrated her 49th birthday with a very big, very public party. Uh, but a couple months after that, Emma died on the 24th of April, 1885, after complaining of a headache and suffering for a third and final seizure. Her funeral service was held on the 17th of May, 1885, with a church overflowing with admirers of her. The reverend at the funeral spoke of her. She loved the people. Love begets love. The common people believe that Queen Emma really did care for them. Emma was finally laid to rest in the new mausoleum built for her by her husband, where she was buried next to her son, Albert, and her husband, Kamamehe. Now, Emma has an absolutely gigantic legacy, especially in her humanitarian work with the hospital that she set up and the girls' school that she helped build. Very Princess Diana of her, as I said. She did a lot of good for Hawaii in her short time as queen. Both her and Queen Lily have been some of my favorite Hawaiian worlds to learn about, and I would love learn more about Hawaii's monarchy. I've got a couple of other Hawaiian princesses on my docket to do one of these days. And, oh, Emma, oh, babe, 
I just want to give her like a hug from beyond the grave. I can't imagine how mad she would have been about America taking over the Hawaiian Islands and making it a state. Like she knew, she knew America was coming for those islands. She knew, and I just can't imagine how disappointed she'd be. (sighs) So proud of her. Anyway, thank you guys so much for joining me on this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I will see you guys in two weeks with a new episode. Goodbye. Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you have any suggestions for topics, you can just DM me on Twitter at LongMasonRain2. The N at the end of rain is replaced with a 2 instead. I'm also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and like a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, Don't forget to rate and review this podcast on all those platforms. It really actually does help the show so much and it will help me grow my audience. So I would absolutely appreciate it if you you guys could do that. All right. Uh, bye.